For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in chapter 4 of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul reminds us that although there's incredible unity in the church, there's also a great diversity because each member has different gifts. God has graciously given each Christian a divine enablement to strengthen and encourage his church. So let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, He Gave Gifts to Men. Heavenly Father, now we just want the Holy Spirit to be able to focus our thoughts on the living word before us, the God-breathed word said to save us and to heal us, to comfort and correct us and lead us in the way everlasting. We pray for a special understanding and an ability to grasp the truth and put it into practice that we'd be blessed in Christ's name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, along with teaching at that international uh, pastors conference in Mumbai last week, we were able to visit orphanages and be a blessing there. Pastor Carlin did some gospel teaching with a watercolor that he was doing and that had translation and led them in singing. That was interesting. And there's video to prove that. Um, And we brought candy, so we were rock stars for sure, you know, and and as I said, we brought some offerings to be a practical help, and I want to talk to you about a little bit of a vision um, for that work uh, this coming Wednesday night. Well, let me tell you about a problem with some of the kids there. Um, They have what is called FTT, some of them, uh, failure to thrive. It's something that babies have here on occasion as well, but in developing nations, uh, much more so. Uh, Simply put, they're just undersized and underweight, and um, uh, their their physical growth is impeded. Um, Their ability to fight off infections is compromised as a result of low caloric intake and malnutrition, and of course, Really, that's the key. There's that there, if you don't get enough calories and nutrients, you cannot grow to be a healthy person. That is true physically, and in our text this morning, we are going to see how true it is spiritually. That unfortunately, there's a condition of FTT, failure to thrive, spiritually among Christians who don't get the proper. Uh, nutrients and caloric intake of the word of God. First Peter uh, tells us, I believe in chapter five, that we ought to be as new, newborn babies craving the pure spiritual milk of God's word that, that helps grow us up into our salvation, right? We come into this world as what? Newborn babe, babies in Christ in our Christian faith. I mean, we come in as born again, Right, And so we have this new life. We become children of God. But God doesn't intend us to remain children. He wants us to become, not in our thinking or maturity, that is, wants us to become men and women of God. 
full and complete and uh, stable and effective and productive, and he's got a way to do that. And so this morning's text uh, really shows the provision God has in place uh, for us not to be, you know, infants who, infants who drool are the cutest things in the world. I mean, it's just everything they do is cute, but even the drool, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, especially with my grandchildren, what that has not been born yet, but I can assure you that even in the womb, the drool there is cute. And, um, but if you're six months old and you're drooling, that's cute. But if you're 10 years old and you're still drooling, mom and dad are very sad because there's a problem, right? So there's failure to thrive in the Christian community. No amount of entertainment or hipster uh, meetings or whatever it is that a religious substitute of any kind can take the place of what God calls the church, where there are, are gifted uh, men and women, there are gifted uh, leaders who use their gifts to actualize the gift that each person has. And that's the really the summation of really our text uh, this morning. To check it out, starting at verse seven, he says, but to each one of us, pretty key, but to each one of us, everyone, he's given grace as Christ the portion did. Now he's talking about gifts, grace gifts. This is why it says, now a quote from Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Now he wants to elaborate on that verse from the Psalms. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Well, that's a profound statement, and he wants us to understand the work of the gospel in light of one verse from the Psalms, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at that. Now, uh, he goes on to say, now it was he who gave some, he's talking about gifts now, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ, which means the church, as it's expressed locally, he means a bigger church than just one little church, but we make up that church. So that the church may be built up until we all reach the unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And, and that's a qualifier that says what mature means, and that seems pretty profound. The verse goes on to say, when that happens, you're no longer tossed like a little baby, like a little rag doll from here and there by every new wind of doctrine. In other words, by every new book at the Christian bookstore says, hey, we got a new idea, you know, and sorry, you know, I don't know who I'm making fun of there, but... Uh, but you become stable and productive and effective and everything that God created you to be 
Um, because he's given gifts to the body that are enabled through the Christian leaders. So that how important is church? Well, church is important only if you want to reach your full potential, your God-given gift identified and used biblically, right, to strengthen the church. It's like, well, I'm not necessarily needing to be in church because I don't have to be in church to be saved. What about your place for us? God has given each member of the church a gift to strengthen the church. And then now today we've got people out doing their own thing and they're saying, it's okay, everybody chill. I'm okay with that. Yeah, oh, okay, first of all, you're not okay with that, but that's another sermon. Apparently, God doesn't think you're okay with that. But secondly, what about the church? Oh, others. You know, everybody's like, hey, dude, I'm cool. Don't worry about me. I'm not worried about you so much. What about the place you were supposed to fill to bring your gift that God gave you for the strengthening of the church? We're down because you're out taking a walk on the beach. Oh, you know what? You can take a walk on the beach any Sunday. I like to do that myself. In fact, let's do that right now. Just kidding. (laughs) But the overall concept here in this text is Paul pointing out that we have gifts, that we are united as one. The context of this passage is the unity, one Lord, one God, one faith, one church. Now his thought turns to say, hey, we're not all cookie cutters on some uh, assembly line in heaven. We have great diversity among us in the giving of different gifts, but they all have one purpose, and that purpose is to edify and strengthen and cause you to thrive so that you're not 10 years old in the Lord and still kind of drooling a little bit. How long have you been saved? Oh, I got saved when I was 17. How old are you now? 43. And, and, and can you show me in the Bible where John 3.16 is? And I just told you John 3.16, right? And that would be really sad. <laughs> And, and so this is the text. And so next week, the, 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 the next paragraph explains why he gave the gifts. And this uh, paragraph that we're going to look at today is what God did. He gave us gifts so that we could thrive and grow up uh, to be like him. And so let's start talking about the gifts. What we do here, we put up the scripture and we're going to walk through it and, and see if we can understand what the intention there and the truth that we can be blessed by. So Paul, Paul starts out with a, with a pretty cool thought and he says that if you're born again, you have a grace gift. That word grace there uh, really means the grace gifts, and we're going to talk about what that means, but what I want to stress to you is is that there's no child of God left behind in this regard. If you are a born-again Christian, you have a designated, special, unique grace gift that is yours, not for the purpose of... um, making money or excelling at work necessarily, though those are your natural inclinations. Very happy that you're really good with numbers or, or you're really good with art or whatever it is that makes you special and you love to do it. He's talking about a gift that is specifically given by God 
for you to specifically use in the context of the church to build Christians up. Now, that may kind of get blurred for you in your strengths and everything, but we're not talking about what you're naturally good at. This is what you're supernaturally given by God to do for him in the church. It's a very different thing, and some, some Christians still don't know what that is. And the reason I know that you have one is because, but to each one of us, there are other places too that point that out, that it, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, each one of you. And then also 1 Peter and chapter 4, verse 10 says that everybody has a grace gift. Now, the, the Greek, therefore, grace gift is charisma, where we get the word charisma, right? And that is singular for two things put together, grace and gift. It can mean grace endowment or grace empowerment or by grace service gifts, this kind of thing. Charismata uh, is the Greek plural form of grace gifts, right? Now, we love the charismatic movement, that profound depth of worship, um, beautiful revivals and renewals all over the world. But technically, my friends, if you want to be biblical, it, to each person has come charismata. So he's saying the living church on earth right now is a charismatic community because he's given each one charisma, charisma, right? So a grace gift has gone to everybody, making us all charismatic. Uh, so just so you get your words straight and know what you're talking about, there are three lists in the Bible of the charismata. And here he's gonna pull out in Ephesians 4, one list, and he just concentrating on Christian leaders and saying, God has gifted the church with five, four or five kinds of Christian leaders. And we're going to talk about that. The other places to find the list, there are about 30 spiritual gifts given. Uh, scholars say it's not meant to be exhaustive because no list repeats itself. So he, he's just saying these are the major ones, but you get the feel of what he's saying. So 30 gifts given the list is 1 Corinthians 12, the famous one, 4 through 11. I call those the powerhouse gifts because they're like words of faith and power and miracles and healing. I, this is how I think of it, all right, for what it's worth. I think there are two kinds of gifts. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit as he comes and works through his people when we gather, right? So the manifestations of the gifts, I think, happens um, like with miracles and healing. But then I see gifts that seem to be personal and permanent, like the gift in Romans 12, the second uh, list appears in Romans 12, of mercy. If you've got the gift of mercy, which means you're extra sensitive to people who are hurting, uh, you always have that gift. You wake up on Thursday, you have it. On Friday, you have it. Every time there's a hurting person, there's that gift there. See, the gift of healing, if you have that healing, I think that's a manifestation. In fact, it's called a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. 
you should be able to always go into every hospital and you have the gift and, and lay your hand on everybody and everybody should get well if that was your gift. Paul didn't have that gift. Paul had the manifestation of the Holy Spirit giving a gift of healing from time to time, right? He left Trophimus sick in Miletus. That's a quote from the New Testament. If he had the permanent gift of healing, he would never have left his friend Trophimus sick because he's like, dude, I got, the he- I got the gift. Done, right? But from time to time. So that, it's just helpful. Some of those gifts are like, wow, do we see them? Do you have that gift? Well, I think that gift kind of weaves itself in and out of the, uh, with the, with the, uh, as the Holy Spirit and as Christ has measured it out. And so the, th- the third place is Ephesians 4, this verse. So now you've got the three lists, right? You've got 1 Corinthians 12 with about nine of them. Uh, uh, and you've got Romans 12 with the, with the more down-to-earth ones. If you're a good administrator, he says, that's a gift from God. Um, and serving, that kind of thing. And then Ephesians 4, as I mentioned. Then there are a couple rogue verses that just miscellaneous verses that talk about grace gifts. First uh, Peter 4 says, uh, hospitality is a grace gift. Now, you really know when someone has that gift. Man, it's like, whoa, obvious, right? And maybe it's more obvious when they don't have the gift, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and then there's the gift that uh, nobody really wants. It's 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 7, the gift of celibacy. Um, you know, uh, it is a gift. And Paul says, I'm happy but he says, I'm happy to be single. I think in light of everything going down in this world, Nero's killing all of us off and, the, and Christ can return. He says, I, I think everybody should be like me, but everybody has their own gift. Saying his celibacy was a gift, a spiritual gift, right? And so we got the idea here. Now, why is it constantly grace, 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 gift, grace, gift, grace, gift? so that the glory and the boasting will go to God. Why? I mean, you take a look at somebody who excels in a gift, and your tendency is like, wow, to be amazed. Like, wow, look what they can do, right? Or you think that about yourself, right? Because God gives amazing gifts, right? And we recognize, whoa, wow, that's kind of like not an everyday sort of natural inclination. So the grace gift thing is telling you grace. Nothing to do with you, what you did or what you didn't do, right? Gift, you didn't have it before, you received it. It didn't come from you. So those are two concepts that should keep all of us using our gifts, pointing more to the giver of the gift than being astounded by anybody's uh, personal gift, you know? That's important. It's important to not to think more of others than they need to, than, than we should. Even the angels, an angel appeared in uh, Revelation 22 to the Apostle John. And John was like, whoa, wow, look at you. Look what you can do. And, he's, and he falls down and adores him. And he goes, get up, man, don't do it. Quote, do not do that. Worship God, you see. So grace gift, man, we don't look to people, put them on a pedestal and say, wow, look at that. Because it's about 
the giver. And, and, and lest we, when we're using the very thing God gifted that we didn't have before, not because we did anything good, because it's by grace, the grace gift comes together in you, and then you get a big head about it. So a big gift often leads to a big head because of big pride. And when you have big pride, you get a big fall, right? And so he's trying to tell you grace gift, gift grace, grace gift, it's from the giver and it's all about the giver. You don't wanna mix that up for sure. And so, you know, the only big shot around any church is the Lord Jesus Christ, the source, right? Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, you know? Paul told the Corinthians they love their gifts and they treated them like a bunch of toys instead of tools, which they are, right? And they were trying to out-gift each other, you know? And so Paul had to come into Corinth and say, you guys are so worldly. And he said, I love it, in chapter four, he says, what do you have? that you didn't receive. And if you received it, why do you boast as though you didn't receive it? So they're all, look what I can do. And Paul says, the only reason you can do that is because God graciously gave you something you didn't have before. And you know, the funny thing about grace gifts is he usually gives the, the grace gift where you were not good naturally in the inclination. So what does he do with three crude and rude fishermen who never went to school? They were uneducated, but they were good at fish. And he turns them into these profound thinkers, Peter, James, and John, and gifts them as pastors and apostles and teachers. You read First Peter and you think that's some dude who never went to school? and was just out on the beach all day long for most of his life, that's what he does. He pours his strength into weak vessels so that people will look at that. And after Peter got done speaking, they said, aren't those guys uneducated fishermen? And they took note that they had been with Jesus. You see, God pouring in, as he proportions, the amount of grace gift in Peter so that when Peter exercised the gift, people were amazed, well, he didn't go to school. So what's up with that? Oh, he was with Jesus' connection, do you see? So that's pretty important stuff. Now, uh, so we're gonna talk about the giver that's Paul, Paul what, what he wants to do here. So it's not about the gift, it's about the giver. So he goes to Psalm 68 to do that in the most intriguing, awesome way. So let's take a look. If you don't understand Psalm 68, verse 18, which is this verse right here, that's why it says in Psalm 68, verse 18, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. He takes one sentence out, first understand it in its Old Testament situation, and then how he applies it to Christ. And it's, it's a wow, let me tell you, because he goes on to try to explain it, and uh, we'll understand it better as we go on. Now, first of all, in the original context, here's what he's talking about. Psalm 68 is a victory song. It's a song they sang uh, when, after a great victory with the bad guys, and they'd form a parade, 
And the parade, all the soldiers led by the king and the Ark of the Covenant out in front, which symbolized the he ascended to the top of the hill of Jerusalem. So in other words, Jerusalem's the capital. They went out and fought the Philistines. They put the Ark of the Covenant, they win, praise the Lord. They put the Ark of the Covenant in front. Now that's God's presence. The king is behind that. And they're ascending up from the Kindron Valley up to where the palace and the temple are, where God's presence is. So he ascended on high after a great victory. And number two, he led captives in his train. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's um, you know, a ticker tape parade. That's kind of what they were doing back in the day. They would, I have a picture of one when the uh, Apollo 11, you know, the astronauts went up. And, uh, you know, there it was, and there they went home again. <laughs> and so out in front, here are the heroes, and, and, and everybody turned out to line the streets of Jerusalem, and up the Lord went in front in the Ark of the Covenant, right, and the king. But in this parade, thank you for that picture, in the old school parade, you had it in the, the POWs, the terrorists, the grandfathers of the true Middle Eastern terrorists, their fathers, the terrorist bad guys, were captive POWs in the train. Cap, the, cap, those captive in the wake, following in the train, as it were, uh, are these bad guys. And then they get up to the top there, and there's a joyous celebration. Second Samuel chapter six has a great picture of this very thing happening. And so the king was so happy. They won. The bad guys are there. They're down. They give, he gives gifts to everybody. Second Samuel six, David does a dance. The Ark of the Covenant's there. They ascended to Jerusalem and God's with them and they led captive the, the, the bad guys and then Joyfully, he gives a cake of dates, a cake of raisins, a cake, a loaf of bread to everybody. They, the palace was, well, they had some treasures there. And so everybody in Jerusalem who came to watch the victory parade, the ascension up to the top, the captives led captive, all received gifts, all right? Now, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul's going to take that one sentence from that one victory song and say, it's really fulfilled in David's descendant, the king, the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's going to compare how he ascended and who he led captive and why he gave his gifts, right? So now you're going to understand it. He ascended on high in light. Now we're talking gospel and King Jesus fighting some sort of battle with some bad guys, all right? So here's the gospel's victory song. Our King Jesus ascended upon high. And Paul says, oh, by the way, in parentheses, uh, the one who's going to ascend is actually the one who came down. He descended. So what does he want there? In order to understand the height of Jesus' ascent, let's consider the depths of his descent. So your little parenthetical uh, verse there, verse 9, is telling you, I'm about to tell you how Jesus ascended to heaven, 
But first, can we please consider that the one who ascends all the way to the top of heaven is the one who came down from the highest point of heaven to rescue us and to do the battle down here, and then he ascends. So he says his greatness is number one. The one who ascends is not King David in this case. It's the one who stepped down from heaven. Jesus told a crowd in John chapter 6, he said, I came down from heaven to do God's will, to give my life away for the souls of many. They said, well, how can you say you came down from heaven? We know where you were born. We know your brothers and sisters, or so they thought, right? Jesus told Nicodemus, hey, nobody, nobody ascends into heaven except the one who's descended from heaven. So why did God, from the highest heaven, God the Son, who reigned on the throne over this universe, descend first into the womb of a human being to come out the God-man. Why did he do that? He had a battle to fight on our behalf. There were some terrorists, not just threatening the nation Israel, threatening every human being who breathes oxygen. For it is appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment, death, the devil, eternal condemnation. He came in love to take the stinger out of death, to bear sin, to disarm the, the terrorist, all caps, the devil, who holds the power over death. Hebrews chapter two says, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil and to disarm him who held the power and slave and, and held us as slaves by fear of death. He came to be a sin bearer. By his punishment, the Lord laid on, on him our sins. He said, nobody takes my life. I didn't come down and, whoa, whoops, the bad guys are winning. He says, I came for this. No one takes my life from the Son of God. I willingly lay it down. I'm the good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep. And so he descended from wherever the highest heaven is and came down to a human womb to bear sins and to let people nail his human body to a tree of a piece of wood that he himself created because by him all things exist. Colossians 1.15. But wait, he's not done descending. One would think, whoa, you descended enough. No, he's got a job to do. Your verse says, oh, he didn't stop with the dust of death. He went to the lower regions of the earth. Now, why did he descend there? He said it is finished on the cross. He was done. He paid for sins. But he had some people waiting for him, waiting for full redemption. They were in a place called paradise, but they couldn't go into heaven without their sins being washed away by the blood of Jesus. They were in the lower regions of the earth in a place called, in Hebrew, Sheol. Sheol just means place of the departed dead. And that place was divided to a righteous side called Abraham's heart, meaning anyone in the Old Testament who believed in God like Abraham did, died in faith that their sins would one day be paid for by the Messiah, would end up where he ended up, in paradise. But their sins were not paid for yet. They were on credit. 
In faith, someday God would appear in a body and go to a cross and become the sin bearer for them. And then when he ascends, he comes down, he spends three days in paradise proclaiming victory to them. And then Peter tells you something that blows our minds. He says, from the paradise side, he proclaimed victory over, quote, the disobedient spirits of long ago from Noah's day who were bound in chains from that day. What's that about? Let me suggest to you what happened. There were special demons that tried to corrupt the entire world. Their boss, the devil, knew that he was already told in the Garden of Eden, your conqueror who will crush your head, Genesis 3, God speaking to the devil, will come through the seed of a woman. In other words, there's going to be a line of men from Seth And one of those young men are going to grow up to be the conqueror. It's going to be actually God himself, who's going to put you out of business forever, crush your head. And so what did he do? He got his most powerful demons, and he went into human beings. He corrupted some kind of demonized humanity to where there were like half-demon, half-human freaks saying, bring your savior into this world. Some people said he corrupted the animals and that's where you get your dinosaurs from. He said, bring bring your little Israel and your little line of men, bring them through this. And God had to wipe out one billion people and save eight, the closest call the devil ever got to winning. And the Bible says, that through those eight, Noah was in the line, Shem through Shem, and through Shem's son, and then generations later, he appeared. He goes down there, and from the righteous side of paradise, he proclaims victory to those specific demons that are now bound because they would never get the opportunity to do that world kind of damage again. He bound them in the abyss and he saying to them, though you almost destroyed the entire world, I preserved eight souls on an ark and here I am, the seed of the woman. And he ascends now, you know. He descended from the top of heaven's throne as God the Son into the living, breathing womb of a woman to bear our sins. He does the work, descends again into the lower regions of the earth and rises again. And in his train, he takes captive not the POWs, not the enemies, but the former enemies redeemed and washed and cleansed and made from enemies into children of God. And he captures them by his grace and by his love. And he unites them to himself. And as he rises and enters the Father's presence, they are bringing brought, they are brought up into his presence as well. Bought and paid for. Now, when we die on this side of the cross as Christians, We go straight in because we're looking back 2,000 years on what cleansed us. They were looking forward. And so in this victorious ascension, he says, where did he go? 
He went to the highest, higher than all heavens. Where is that? It's just saying, listen, when God the Son ascends, he sends all the way, ascends all the way. And furthermore, in order to fill the whole universe, what does that mean? By his death and resurrection, every particle in the universe now comes under him, his name as Lord. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved and there's salvation in no one else. That's what that means. It means that every particle in, in all of the universe because of his death and resurrection now must come under him. And he's in the business of renewing the universe. You know, this solar system, it looks like it's been through hell. Yeah, and it probably has been. And scholars say, you know, there might have been a little bit of warring going on up there, uh, you know, before this all started. He says, the heavens will disappear and a new heaven, new heavens and a new earth, the renewal of all things. When we fell, it wasn't just us. It was the ground. It was the earth, volcanoes, tsunamis, mudslides, avalanches, hurricanes, sinkholes, poisonous plants, poisonous animals. All of that is now coming under him. And then when the sons of God, the children of God, are going to be liberated on that great day, the earth itself, creation itself, who Romans chapter 8, I'm quoting, Romans chapter 8 says, the creation itself moaning and groaning in futility, it shall experience freedom. And God will restore this world to Eden-like qualities as we are restored. Jesus calls it, when he appears, the renewal of all things. And so the king goes down to fight a battle on behalf of us, wins the battle decisively, descends, goes and picks up those waiting for him, ascends, leading captivity captive, and us, really, because we're going to follow in that train as well. And you will see when you, you take your last breath here and your first breath there. And then we get to, and by the way, he didn't give a cake of raisins. He didn't give a loaf of bread. He gave the bread of life as a gift. So in this joyous celebration, God's ascending. I did it. Here they all are, Father God. They're in your presence, eternal life. He gives his spirit, gifting, enablements, empowerment, remission of sins, no more guilt, no more shame, ability to keep the commands God has given that we never had before. So yeah, I'd rather get uh, the gift of mercy or the gift of serving than a, a cake of dates. I like dates. I like figs. I really do. I'm like Middle Eastern guy. But you know what? When God says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you a unique grace gift that when you use it, while you're waiting for the fullness of redemption, the redemption of your bodies completely, because there's some waiting involved. Yeah, we're all saved, but we've got to duke it out here with the world, the flesh, and the devil. So his gifts in joy is to give you the divine enablement, grace, gift, so that you can thrive and be stable, not blown over here and blown over there in a crisis Christian. You know, oh, Lord, I need you. Oh, Lord, I need you. And all of this stuff and nothing in between. Because he's given us gifts and he says, that's the one we should be 
all about. Now he says, let's talk about how you can activate and use biblically the gift, the grace gift God has given you for the benefit of all of us. And that would be coming under the influence of a speaking gift, a Christian leader. And so he names them and let's move on to those guys there. Uh, I call them four because there's the apostle, the, the prophet. He says some uh, apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And scholars say because he leaves out the some here, right? That pastors and teachers are the same phrase because what does a pastor do? The word there means shepherd. They're feeders. The word comes from to feed, to teach. And so there are four gifts. Let's talk about them. Now, there are, he says, apostles and prophets which were around fulfilling that office, he himself was one of the prophets. Now, when I want to talk to you about prophets, I want to talk about the prophets and the apostles. Just for a second, I'm going to say more about the subject, but let me talk to you about the office, all caps, the apostles and the prophets. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, we're told that God used the apostles and the prophets to establish and build the foundation of the church. Done. That's done. We have a foundation. We have a church. We have a building. It's been 2,000 years. So technically speaking, the office, the title that God gave certain people at that time, the gifting of to be sent, that's what apostle means, and to speak on his behalf where thus says the Lord, 100% bingo every single time, those two offices are finished. For example, you want to build a building. You got somebody come, coming who's an expert foundation builder. That's what he does. They do. They build, they pour the foundation. They're done. You build a building on top of it. You put in the furniture. You do the wiring. You get the people in it. It functions as a business or a house, whatever it is. And then years and years later, somebody comes and says, hey, I'm back. I'm here. I'm the foundation builder. <laughs> okay, so what do you want to do? You want to build a new building? No, I, I'm a foundation builder. I'm going to lay the foundation on that building. You mean the building that has the foundation and the building and the people in it? Yeah. No, I don't think so. <laughs> that job has been done, right? So what does God say? He says, Hebrews chapter 1, in the past, God spoke through the prophets. Now, he speaks to us through his son and the revelation of the word of God. You see, that's Hebrews 1. So all I'm saying is sometimes you meet at Safeway in the line when you're not paying attention and you're talking to somebody who you probably shouldn't have been talking to. He turns around and he says, yeah, oh, praise the Lord, I'm an apostle. You know what? This is not the hill I want to die on, so I'm, not, I'm just going to say, and hi, my name's Ross. You know, I'm not going to say, well, according to Ephesians chapter 2, <laughs> the office is finished, though general work of the apostle and the prophet lives on. How, is that, how does that go? The apostle, to, sent, to be sent. We're all sent. 
As the Father sent me, so I send you. And so today we have missionaries. And missionaries really pick up the essence and the foundation of what that office did. But if you want to call yourself an apostle, by the way, there were qualifications for apostles. Number one, you had to have seen the Lord. That's number one. Number two, you have to have signs, wonders, and miracles, right? So if you want to call yourself a, a, hey, I'm an apostle, you know, you better have seen the Lord and can do signs, wonders, and miracles, right? And so the essence of the prophet, God moves in prophetic ways. By the way, first meaning of prophecy and to prophesy is to speak, to proclaim the word of God, not predictive. Predictive is second meaning. So that God moves in prophetic ways all the time in ways that you don't even know you're doing when he gives you a word of wisdom, when he gives you a word of knowledge, something that you could never have known apart and just kind of appears on your mind or you say it out loud or you're praying with a friend about a hard decision. You've got the Bible open and you're praying and thinking and struggling and out comes something that is pretty profound and it works and it's confirmed. That is the essence of what the prophet did was to speak the word of God and, and instruct us and counsel us in the way that we should go. So prophecy, don't despise prophecies, that's, but test everything. There should never be anything in addition to the information we have in the Bible. We, we use the Bible as the measure. Somebody's saying, and I, I, I always tell people, don't say, thus says the Lord, if it is from the Lord, everybody will know. You don't have to say it. And my friend, if you're wrong one time, just once, you have said, God said this, and God's like, whoa, I didn't say that. I do not want to misrepresent God. You could, there are ways to say, I'm feeling this, and I'm praying about that. Check it out, you know. And I think God is using the prophetic all around us, and most of the time, it's over a cup of coffee, and you think, when is God going to speak prophetically? He just did, you know? Well, you guys had your Bible open, and you're searching the scriptures, and you're praying, and God uh, spoke through you. So that's uh, my take on that. Um, so thirdly, the evangelist. You know, everybody knows when someone has the gift of evangelism because they can't stop talking about Jesus. I mean, if a dog walked up, you'd be like, a little puppy, are you a Christian? <laughs> Do you know the Lord? <laughs> you know? Well, <laughs> my dog was Tibetan terrier, so she was a Buddhist when she, when she first came in the house. <laughs> And we had to do some work, all right? <laughs> and she is now currently a Christian. She's formerly a Tibetan terrier, and now she is a Christian, very happy, filled with the spirit and all of that. Listen, evangelists can drive the rest of us a little slightly crazy because they just can't turn it off because God has poured into them a special ability with the good news. Carlin and Adam... Oh, my word. Everywhere we went, I, we're at breakfast. The gal's making the omelets, right? Pastor Adam's like, uh, so, are you a Hindu? Are you a Buddhist? I'm like, dude, she asked you how many eggs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's got little tracks in Hindi. I didn't even think of that. 
How did he, he already thought of that. He has it because he has a gift and Carlin was the same way. And the next day I'm, I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm on jet lag, what country am I in? You know, yeah, I'll have two eggs, you, you know? And he's like, oh, I already led her to the Lord. Yeah, somebody came from the hotel to the church service and loved it and heard the word of God because Carlin and Adam got this evangelism gift going on. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell you, I, I had a temptation to just say, you guys, I mean, we're going to the orphanage and we're going to be preaching all day long. They stopped the taxi cab. We were getting souvenirs. They go in and they start it up. You know, he's saying, this is, uh, this is very good cashmere, you know, and he's doing this thing. And, and Adam starts again, you know, so do you know the Lord? You know the Lord? Oh, yeah, well, you know, all religions are the same. He says, I'm a Muslim. And I'm like, I'll be in the cab. <laughs> and you will see the video of Carlin and Adam raising their voices just a little bit. So when the guys are pushing back and they're saying, well, you know, Muhammad said, Adam's all, well, Jesus said, I'm like, whoa, honk the horn. I'm like, oh, time to go. I, I know I have a little bit of that in me somewhere, you know. Okay, I have it too. But not, not when I'm tired. <laughs> And so, uh, oh, man. So, yeah, you know, just step out of their way. Let them do their work. Don't get you, you know, there's a time and place sermon. You know, just let them go. And so uh, the fourth category is pastors and teachers, pastor slash teacher. There are three words that get thrown around in, in, in Acts chapter 20, and I believe it's verse 17. It is. Um, all three words are used for the same bunch of guys. Uh, it is shepherd pastor, elder, and overseer. Those three words are all used to describe the same man. And, and we call him pastor, right? And so uh, it's really cool because an elder is an old guy. It means to be mature. An overseer directs the affairs of the church. And a pastor shepherds and counsels and feeds the word of God. So you get a good picture by the, by the way that they're described. Now, about pastors in the, in the New Testament, every single Christian in the New Testament had a church, a biblical church, and every biblical church had a pastor. Every single one. There was never a Christian left to themselves to have a little group of Christians doing their own thing. You can have prayer meetings. You can worship. You can have great fellowship. But you cannot have church unless you have God's model of a church. And that means there's one of those dudes there. There's a missionary. There's a pastor. There's a teacher. Because that's how God made it. I'll give you two verses for that. Titus 1.5 and Acts 14.23. Every... City, they planted a church, had a pastor, and every Christian was added to a local church. You don't find that anyone. And why do I bring that up? Because, of course, the devil is trying to get God's people to have a low view of church. Hey, I don't need to go to church to be saved. But you do need to go to church to be equipped to prepare God's people for works of service. Where's that going to happen? Not on the beach. 
You don't have a great prayer time on the beach, great worship time, but you will not be prepared in your gifting. You will not be growing up into the body unless you're doing church the way God says. That's just not my idea. It's in your text. This is God's idea. Now, how ingenious of the devil to get God's people where they away from, look, he cannot take away your salvation, but he can render you ineffective. The last thing we want is for you to be using the grace gift and strengthening the body, which is advancing the gospel of his demise. And so what he's got is this low view of church. Oh, local church, bad. Just organic church, whatever that means. Organic church, let me tell you. They had buildings. They rented halls. This is in the book of Acts. They had budgets. They had councils and meetings. Uh, They had policies on benevolence ministries. They had church offices of pastor and deacon and qualifications, a little qualification checklist. Is that organic? Is that what you mean by uh, let's get back to the early church? Because they had rent to pay, buildings, offices, pastors, budgets, offerings. Sounds pretty familiar to me. I'm just saying. (laughs) So the importance of this, this text is that God has given men gifts to actualize everybody else's gifts and they work together. And then when you're using your gift in the church, in the church, everybody knows, hey, I got a gift and I'm over here doing this thing. That's a special ability. That's not a grace gift. The grace gift is employed to strengthen the local church. So ask yourself, do I know what that is and am I doing it as it evidenced as strengthening Christians in the local church? And our local church here is called The Rock. I say this all the time. The Rock isn't for everybody. I get that, you know? It's for 99.9% of people, but... As long as you've got a Bible teaching church where there's no craziness and and you get the word of God explained to you and applied, then you're going to be able to grow and understand what your part you play in. And that's the beauty of this passage is that God says he's going to go on to say so that you're stable and not open to deception when somebody's going to tell you something crazy that sounds good and is gaining following but you will know because of the wisdom and the stability and the maturity because you didn't fail to thrive. You've been growing healthy in God's provision called the church and church leadership and God's gifts. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love, your mercy. The wonderful way that you have shown us how you've given us gifts through your victorious uh, fight and war on our behalf, which you, which you won, Lord, thank you. We praise you, God, now, and as we get ready to, to consider your death on the cross on our behalf, which makes all of this possible, we pray that you continue to speak to our hearts in Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. 
If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.